Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining me. Later on this hour, we're going to catch up with Dan Halliburton of the American Red Cross and how they've helping and continue to help those in Texas affected by the recent storms. But first, Genesis Women's Shelter and Support provides safety, shelter, and support for women who experience domestic violence and to raise awareness regarding its cause, prevalence, and impact. Amy Norton is the Senior Director of Fund and Community Development and is kind enough to join us. Amy, it's been a crazy few weeks for you guys. Tell me what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. It has been, um, can we just say it's been a crazy year? (laughs) Wow, and it's only two months in. Yeah, I know, right? Um, So, yes, it has been um, definitely a crazy few weeks. I mean, obviously, with the winter storms here in North Texas, we were all, you know, preparing Mm -hmm. for it, but also caught by surprise as, as to the extent of what we all had to endure here, right, with the power outages and, you know, just trying to survive super cold nights to... Um, bursting pipes and everything like that. Um, are so, you are you going down the path where I think you are, which is a lot of stress? Is it a lot of families and households? Oh, yeah, definitely stress levels are high, but our teams over here at Genesis are amazing and keeping our eyes on our mission, which is to provide the best services possible for our women and children here. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to share our story in a, a little bit of a nutshell here, Um, Over at what we call our safe campus, we have two different facilities over there. We have our emergency shelter where women and children can come any time of the day. Um, That's where our hotline office is for those who may not need to call the hotline 24 hours a day. Um, So she can show up at 2 a.m., at 2 p.m., whatever time she needs to receive that emergency shelter. And then we also have something called Annie's House over there. And this is our transitional housing apartment complex. Um, So just to kind of give listeners a little bit of a visual of of what we're talking about when we talk about each of these spaces. Um, Annie's house is where a woman woman and her children could go and stay in a fully furnished apartment um, for up to a year as they begin to rebuild their lives Mm -hmm. um, as they have escaped situations of domestic violence. And Annie's house is the portion of our safe campus that was hit the most with the most devastating damage. Mm. So I understand this got like international coverage, some kind of way Prince Harry and Meghan Markle heard about this. Yes. Yeah. We are probably just as surprised as you. Wow. 
received a phone call on Sunday and connected with the the nicest man ever from the Archwell Foundation, which is the foundation um, founded by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And they reached out and said that the couple wanted to give a gift to help us recover from this damage. And we were completely taken aback, um, so, so, so grateful that they noticed that what was going on in Texas and didn't even hesitate to reach out to give help. Um, they have offered us a very substantial gift to help us replace the roof over Annie's house um, and an, an additional amount to help with immediate needs to serve our women and children at this time. That is absolutely amazing. I'm sure, you know, other um, people have also contributed and helped out, but that is absolutely amazing. Can you, I mean, can you talk about who got the phone call and then as the word spread, the excitement and around the, the facilities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be completely honest with you, I don't even think I fully understood what was happening until about two or three hours into the process. Um, we, had, we had gotten the call from the Archwell Foundation and um, it was kind of funny. He was talking about the, this couple in the foundation who wanted to give a gift and um, and, you know, the potential media attention that may follow. And mm-hmm. it took me a minute to realize the couple was Harry and Megan. Um, but, you know, we were so, so shocked. And, and you know, what it has sh- shown us is that people all over the country and even all over the world, because we've received donations from five other countries outside the United States, um, realized the, the prevalence and the horror of domestic violence. Yes. And I feel like as a world, um, definitely as a country, we've all taken a stand this week to say, this isn't okay. You know, the women and children who who were with us at Annie's house and the shelter, we were probably their last resort in the first place. You know, they, they are there because, you know, they may not have family or friends close enough by, you know, or, you know, where they could go and, and stay safely there because the abuser may know where their family and friends live. So, you know, very likely we were already their last resort. So to have to displace 87 women and children last week um, for the first time ever wow. in 36 years of operation was completely heartbreaking to us. But at that time, that was our safest option. Um, luckily, we, you know, we can't go without giving thanks to our community, to um, some hotel owners, to other organizations in the area for helping us find safe, comfortable places for the women and children to go during this time. Um, And I mean, gosh, the community has been amazing and outpouring of donations to help us restock the items that we lost. Um, We're going to need to be replacing furniture, coffee pots, bedding, walls, roofs ceiling fans, pretty much everything at Annie's house. And um, we wouldn't be where we're at today without, you know, without the help of the community and the country. Absolutely amazing. We're talking with Amy Norton, Senior Director of Fund and Community Development with Genesis Women's Shelter. And can you tell all the people who don't have that much idea about Genesis, when you guys started and how long you've been around, um, and what's the purpose for for those who don't know all what you do? Absolutely. Um, Genesis Women's Shelter opened in 1985, and uh, we exist to provide safety, shelter, and support for women and children who have experienced domestic violence. 
and to raise the awareness regarding its prevalence and impact in our community. And um, a long time ago, in 1985, when we first opened, it, it, it was just a shelter at that time. Um, we have definitely expanded since then. Um, our biggest footprint now is probably our non-residential outreach center, and that would be for women and children who may have a place to stay, so they may not need the shelter portion of the services, but they need the counseling. They need the group counseling, um, the trauma therapy, the play therapy for the children. All of those things we offer at our non-residential building as well. Um, that's over there on Lemon Avenue here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And um, beyond that, we've expanded. We now have a team of staff attorneys on site, and we provide free legal services for women um, who are escaping these domestic violence situations. Um, as you may already know, it's, it gets tricky really quickly um, when navigating um, family law and custody and, you know, violence in the home. It, it gets really scary because what we know is that the abuser um, uses power and control. That's what domestic violence is. It's, it's uh, one person exerting power and control over the other mm-hmm. um, to exert dominance and fear Um, a way for them to control the other person and control that relationship to get what they want. Um, And it's not always a a push or a slap or a punch in the face. Um, What we know about domestic violence is it can be verbal and emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also be by using her faith against her, which we, um, you know, called abuse by faith, using her faith community to intimidate her or threatening her by use of her faith community. Also, very many women go to the faith leaders within their faith community and unfortunately get some pretty sticky advice that may not work out well for her in the end. We also know that financial abuse is a big part of this and pretty much every single violent relationship, financial abuse would be present. And that looks like um, using the finances to control the relationship. You know, he won't pay the rent unless she does ABC. Um, or he completely ruins her credit, so she doesn't have the ability to go out and get an apartment or rent a car or do things like that. So it comes in all forms and fashions, um, and that's what our team at Genesis is here to help her work through. And uh, another thing I'm really proud about that we do is we will meet her where she's at, meaning we, as soon as she walks through our doors, we will wrap around her with the services she needs at that time. Um, so many women come to us and they're not ready to leave the relationship. And we know that that's, that's a part of it. We also know that, um, you know, we don't approach her and tell her that she needs to leave the relationship. We know that she knows her safety better than we do. And um, oftentimes leaving the relationship is the most dangerous part of the process. So we're yeah. here to walk by her to help safety plan um, to help her get her ducks in a row um, before legal processes may begin, to help her get the protective order, um, or just to simply allow her to come in into a group and share her story and realize that she's not alone. These are amazing stories, and I know uh, how they get in touch with you. Everybody's got a unique story. But have you noticed there's any circumstances that are similar? Because I can imagine for a woman or a woman with kids to reach out to Genesis, it takes a lot, a lot of strength. Yeah, absolutely. We we applaud every single woman who calls our hotline, who walks in randomly one day because she decided today is the day. Today is the day I want to talk to someone. 
Um, these are the strongest women and children that you'll ever meet. And that's why we want to stand beside them and, and trust them to, to share with us their story and to meet them where they are at. Um, that's one, one reason I love working for Genesis. We're very non-judgmental. Um, it is, it's about empowering her and using the skills that she has, the knowledge she has, um, the resources she has in supporting her through this so that when she takes the first step away from the relationship, that it's for the rest of her life and that she can really get back on her feet and begin a life without him. You know, you were talking about the expansion program, and I know it took some funding, and I know a lot of people reached out and helped. But I also wanted to know about the outside-of-the-box thinking on it because sometimes people think of cookie-cutter. They think, you know, uh, you have a facility, and maybe the the lady and, and her kids can stay there. But you also mentioned, hey, we provide access to services without anyone actually staying. And can you talk about how you guys came up with the process of let's create different kind of environments where we can reach and take care of a lot of people? Right, right. Well, you nailed it right there is that this is not a cookie cutter process. And every relationship is different. There are going to be different dynamics, different scenarios. Um, The one consistent factor we know is that he uses power and control to control the relationship and to abuse her, right? But that's going to look different in pretty much every relationship um, Mm -hmm. and every scenario. If she has children, her needs are going to be different than a woman who may come to us without children. Um, So, and one thing that we've kind of, you know, moved along with, um, you know, 30 years ago, it was just shelter. We need more beds. We need more beds. We need more shelters for these women. But what we've learned over the last few decades is that it's not all about shelter. Um, She may not need a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, She may have um, a family friend, you know, in a different city that he doesn't know about that she could safely go and stay with. So what we what we know then is we don't need to, to waste our time trying to find her a place to stay. What she does need in that situation um, is to get a protective order. So if he does find her, that she has a legal boundary and protection against him. So we put legal services on site. Um, what we also know is that our children are just as equally as traumatized by the domestic violence, even if they're not the one receiving the primary abuse. Um, if domestic violence is in the home, they're witnessing it, Mm -hmm. they're hearing it, they're seeing it, they're seeing the results of it, and they're receiving that trauma too. So while that child may not need shelter, that child will need some counseling and therapy um, to to help work through some of these issues. And we have an amazing team of advocates on site um, because we know that, you know, as a as a parent, you know, we, we know that we're not even going to begin to think about our child, our children's needs until we know, um, I'm sorry, we're not even going to begin to think about our own emotional needs until we know that our children's basic needs are being met. Right. You know, do they have enough food? Are they in school? You know, is that taken care of? How do they feel emotionally? And our advocates really help to line up and get all those things in place. Do my children have the medication they need without the abuser knowing that we just went to the doctor today to get that? And our advocates will help get that. Um, So basically, you know, we've tried to take a look at her and her life and think, what does she need? What does she truly need to begin to take her first steps away from this relationship in a safe way? She needs legal services. Her kids need schooling. She might need help with daycare. Um, She might need help 
getting her finances together. We just try to look at all the things she needs instead of trying to figure out, um, try to make her fit into our model of, of, you know, shelter and all of that process. And we know housing is not the only issue. So we've created all of these other resources along the way. We're visiting with Amy Norton, Senior Director of Fund and Community Development for the Genesis Women's Shelter and Support. Hey, Amy, you're speaking about cookie cutter and and unusual models. A lot of people, when they think about domestic violence, they just think, oh, husband and wife or girlfriend, boyfriend. And sometimes it's more complicated than that. How many situations where it's brother, sister or father, daughter or aunt, niece? Yeah, absolutely. We we know that in about 95% of abusive relationships, the abuse occurs where the male is the perpetrator and the female is the victim. However, we also recognize that um, abuse can occur between anyone, yeah. right? It can be also between same-sex partners. It can also occur where the woman is the abuser and the man is the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, here at Genesis, we have chosen to focus on um, the interpersonal violence, uh, the the domestic violence between, you know, a couple in their home. Um, And we serve the women and children who are affected by that. But you're right. It definitely does happen. Um, Anyone is susceptible. We we often talk about how it's an equal opportunity epidemic. Um, It doesn't even matter what your zip code is. It doesn't matter how much money you make it. The color of your skin, you know, doesn't matter either. Everyone from all races, from all tax brackets, from all regions um, experience domestic violence. And the statistics, um, one in four women will experience domestic violence in her lifetime. And the scary part is in Texas, that number is one in three. Wow. That domestic violence is even more prevalent um, in, in our state here. And um, so what we often tell everybody is when you go to work or when you're at your church or your faith community to look around and see all of the women and girls around you, knowing that a good 30 percent of them will experience domestic violence in her lifetime. And that's just it's not okay, Right. It's not acceptable. We have to do something about it. Amy, over the last five to eight years, the Me Too, the Me Too movement has made it easier for some women to speak out about situations of abuse, has that been making uh, your job easier, the pluses and minuses, it made it more more women able to speak openly and, and actually seek help, seek help in their domestic violence situations? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, that's the thing, right? We often feel more comfortable speaking out in numbers. Mm -hmm. Right. Nobody, very few people want to be the first one to speak out. So the Me Too movement has definitely helped, given women all over the country and the world a little bit more of a firm footing and taking a stand and speaking out about the violence that they have endured. Um, It's also given us a, a pretty good in with a lot of our corporate partners around here to have some face time with the leaders in those companies and really explain um, what violence against women looks like. Um, and to, you know, we've really made some great efforts and some, some companies and corporate friends here in town um, to start domestic violence awareness programs within their companies um, because we know that a lot of times our corporate partners are going to be the first responders, whether or not they want to. 
um, because, you know, while a, a victim may be secluded from her friends and family, um, isolated and made to feel dumb or like nobody's going to believe her, she still needs to work, right? So she's still going mm-hmm. to her job. She's still seeing her coworkers. She's still reporting to her supervisor. So if we can continue to educate our corporate friends and into what that looks like and then how to help her at that point, um, we think we'll be able to continue saving even more lives. You know, a lot of people nowadays are into analytics and data. And so mm-hmm. I wanted you to explain to um, those who don't know the demographics of the of the women and children who suffer this abuse. Cause sometimes people want to think, well, it's probably people who have lower income that they have to deal with uh, domestic violence. And maybe it's not as prevalent in uh, middle-class or upper income uh, uh, parts of society. Can you, can you go mm-hmm. over how it kind of crosses all society? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're exactly right. Um, domestic violence does not know one tax bracket more than the other. Um, they, it affects us all. Um, there's not even, you know, it's not even a, a racial thing. It's not, a, you know, certain portions of the state or the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an equal opportunity epidemic. Um, it does not matter if the woman is deemed educated or, you know, wherever she is in that level of education, that's the scary part is mm-hmm. everyone is at risk. And it, and it happens so slowly, too. You know, it's not like you go on a date with him and he punches you in the face and you're like, OK, well, I'm leaving because, you know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's not like that. It's slow. I mean, you, you fall in love or become invested in this person. And, you know, none of us want to, to ever think that we are being abused. But that's, that's when it starts to happen. And that's why we're here. You know, I can share our hotline number in, in a little bit. But, you know, a lot of the first calls that we get is where the woman may be contemplating whether or not she is even in a, an abusive relationship. And that's a really, really, really hard thing, a really, really tough first step, if I can say. Um, just just to have to realize that the relationship you're in is abusive, much less to then try to take the next steps to get out of it. So, Are you, um, are you talking about like sometimes people may be in a relationship and they're like, wow, this is a psychological manipulation and all of a sudden becomes emotionally violent and then it can also lead to domestic violence? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And quite a few relationships won't even escalate to the physical piece. But mm-hmm. what we've heard from victims is that the emotional and verbal abuse is almost worse than the physical abuse because the black eye will heal the bruises on the arms will heal the bruises on the backs will heal but the words stick with you forever it's a it's a lot of psychological trauma it's a lot to overcome and that that takes quite a bit longer to heal than the the trust issues the trust issues in other words is if you've had a bad relationship that had some psychological or domestic violence involved in it, it's hard to trust the next person who uh, you you find yourself attracted to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. You're right to right. Take a long time, long time to recover from. And that's why, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's why we deem it so important to offer her much more than just a bed, mm-hmm. um, more than just a shelter. Um, there's so much, so much more that goes into it for her. Could you talk about you were talking about how it's been like a tough year? Let's let's talk about COVID because yeah. that put a lot of people together 
who were not working or maybe they were working from at home and there were families who are not getting along. I think some mm-hmm. divorce rates went up and then there was also people who could even move out because they were stressed, but they had no place to go because of, uh, you know, the economy was so bad. Right, right. Yeah. And thank you for bringing this up. Um, it has. It's been a tricky year, to say the least. Um, you know, with, with COVID and the pandemic, all of a sudden, we all find ourselves um, isolated at home, right? Mm-hmm. And for for someone who lives with, in a safe environment, with a safe family, it's not that big of a deal, right? That we have the inconveniences of, oh, we can't go to the movies right now, or we can't go to our favorite restaurant. But it kind of stops there, if we can just all be honest with each other, right? But for someone who is living in an unsafe home, or in a relationship where their partner uses power and control to manipulate and intimidate and control them, we're talking a whole different ballgame. Um, what we've seen over the course of the past year with stress being high, people being trapped at home, is not only have the cases, uh, the number of cases of violence in homes escalated, but the severity as well. Um, you know, the, the ways, the tactics of abusers, they're getting more intense, a little bit more serious, um, potentially more lethal. And that, that has been one of the scariest things for our, for our staff here at Genesis. When COVID first kind of hit the United States around March, April, May, right, um, our hotline calls slowed down a bit, which was pretty horrifying because we knew that it didn't mean uh, the violence was ceasing. It mm-hmm. means that she no longer has the ability to reach out for help safely because he's sitting right there with her. Um, so mm-hmm. what we what we have had to do and what we've you know been doing for her is when she does have the chance to call, we've been doing some safety planning, which you know to speak very bluntly, it's talking about yeah giving her the tools and resources and ideas that she needs to keep her and her children safe until she does have the chance to leave or reach out for help. Um, We also resorted to a lot of teletherapy. Um, So if she could not leave the home, um, then we would be able to do that with her over the phone, over the computer um, when he was not there. But it's definitely been tricky. I cannot brag about our team of clinicians enough. Um, We have master's level therapists on site who have what we call a fire in their belly to help these women. And, and we will exhaust all resources, all ideas, um, do anything we, we can do to make sure that we're providing the right services and resources for her and her kids through any situation. You know, a lot of people are coming to terms with social media and how to deal with the fact that a lot of people know your business or a lot of people Uh, spread disinformation about your business or your personal lives or a lot of people inflate their lifestyles on Instagram or they feel peer pressure to have this perfect life. Can you talk about how social media may have uh, impacted domestic violence situations? Are there any examples you might have? Um, Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it all affects, it affects all of us in different ways, right? We want to always put out our best smile, our best family picture, the coolest trip we just took, all the all the cool things about our lives out into the social media world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, same for someone in a in an abusive relationship. Um, 
you know, a, a very common tactic of an abuser would be to isolate and and cut her out from the outside world. So an, a victim of domestic violence very may well not have access to social media. Interesting. Um, but if she does, you know, he probably is in control of that as well. You know, he wants her to put out this picture mm-hmm. um, or to not put out pictures of herself. Um, that could be a, a form of control as well. Um, so we have definitely seen instances of abusers controlling social media or controlling pictures he has of her, um, whether or not he made her take them against her will. Um, you know, technology nowadays is definitely often used as a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to send all these pictures to all of these people and ruin your life or, um, you know, do, doing these things without her consent. Um, against her free will. Um, it's definitely a very scary form of abuse because it has no limits, right? Once the pictures are out there, um, once the information is out there, it takes on a life of its own. Oh, also, don't forget about controlling of the phone. Let me see your phone. Let me mm-hmm. go through your phone. Yep, absolutely. And our counselors um, are aware of each of these things. And, you know, they work with her from day one of how to um, how to clear your cash, how to protect um, the phone, like we won't call you, you call us, those types of things to really help her remain safe through each and every step of the process. We're talking with Amy Norton, Senior Director of Fund and Community Development with the Genesis Women's Shelter and Support. Can you talk to anyone out here who's listening, how they can get in touch with you, whether to help or whether they need help? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that right now we are recovering from the storm damage. Um, We've seen an outpouring of gifts from the community and the country, and we're working hard to to get everybody back on their feet and moved back into our facilities as soon as we can. Um, If you are looking for the best way to help on any given day, we'd love for you to visit genesisshelter.org slash help. Um, We update this page pretty much every day with any current needs that we have. Um, We have an Amazon wish list that we have been circulating and that we'll be updating today of the items that we need to restock our shelter. And then I would say if anyone out there is um, experiencing abuse or or contemplating whether or not you might be in an abusive relationship, um, I'd love to share our hotline number, which is 214-946. Four three five seven, and that can also be found on our website at genesisshelter.org, and that number is 214-946-4357, and that hotline number is available 24-7. It's completely free and confidential. Um, Nothing you share with with someone at our hotline would be shared with anyone else, Um, so if you are in an abusive relationship or might be needing some help or just to talk with someone, we encourage you to call that number. Amy, you're absolutely awesome. Thank you for sharing your time with us this morning. And yeah, uh, props to Genesis Women's Shelter and Support. You you guys are absolutely amazing. Thank you again. We've got to do it again. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. And we are joined now with Dan Halliburton, Public Affairs Spokesperson for the American Red Cross. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, add volunteer to that because, you know, I've been a volunteer Doing this for 11 years now. Is that right? Is that how you wind up getting more and more involved? Yeah, it is. And um, 
it, it's just been a it, it's been just a great journey and a real honor to be part of it. So we can talk more about that. Maybe we got lots of other more important things to talk. But I'm always proud to say I'm a volunteer. Yes, well, we're going to talk about you a little bit, but first, everybody's just coming through all these storms and the the electricity power outage. So a lot of people immediately thought American Red Cross because the American Red Cross is always involved in disasters. Can you talk about what you guys were doing this past week? Well, it has been a challenging week for everybody, no matter where you live or what you do or what organization you're part of. And, yes, the Red Cross has uh, been engaged throughout the entire state. I've never seen anything like it. I remember our Dallas-Fort Worth area weather guys talking about a winter storm warning for every county in the state of Texas. Mm. And Texans know what that means because we know how big it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's a little hard to comprehend when you talk to people that aren't from here or haven't lived here. But, yeah, really busy. A whole bunch of things. One, let me back up on this one. It has not been getting a lot of attention. One of the things that the Red Cross does day in and day out is we respond to home fires. Mm -hmm. That means an apartment is your home. A standalone home is your home. We're we're responding to those every day in Dallas Fort Worth, as many as six or eight a day. The number of those went up by over 200%. 200 percent in the san antonio area went over 500 percent so think about all the misery we had fighting you know the water Mm -hmm. and the electricity and there were lots and lots of texans who were homeless because of home fires so the red cross continued that work uh throughout that period and, and continues today there was another bad one this morning in wichita falls my goodness. So, yeah, these are things that people just don't think about out of all the, uh, I guess it's the blowback. You, you hear about the power being out. You hear about a lot of people being cold. You hear about a lot of people becoming homeless. You hear about the, the boiling water situations and pipes bursting, but the fires. Yeah. 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 And fires are just so devastating because it's, when you've been and you've seen a home fire and what's left, you know that it's fi- it's final. Mm-hmm. A flood you can kind of get back from it. You know, tornadoes, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, but fire, it just it's just so devastating. So Red Cross, very involved in that. A lot of that is done because of COVID-19, less in the field and more on the phone and virtually. Mm-hmm. And actually been, I think, really efficient with that because we find out on those issues from the fire departments, they give us the names of the folks who have been facing that tragedy and then we make immediate contact with them and almost always they've got a a mobile phone it it actually in a lot of cases sometimes it speeds up the process of of helping people out so that's that's something we do all the time and it's really it really got significant in the in this time okay in this past week with like i said all the power outages and the and the freezing weather could you talk about what specifically the Red Cross was helping people do in those fire situations? Were you providing shelter? Were you providing clothing? What were the kind of things that you guys were doing? So if you're talking about a fire, yeah, there's a protocol that's kind of factored into that. So you know, sometimes people have insurance, and their insurance company's got them covered. And in that case, we're having a conversation. It's kind of like needs analysis. We're finding out, 
tell us what's going on. Tell us what you need. Tell us what your issues are. Uh, maybe they have insurance. Maybe they don't have insurance. Maybe they can't find the information. So we'll provide things like shelter for fire victims. Um, sometimes we'll help them recover other things. It's like, listen, I got a place to go, but I can't get my medications. Mm-hmm. You know, all those burned up and I need them. Well, we'll go to work and help people do that. So it's really kind of a very full service. And, and honestly, for our Red Cross folks, a very fulfilling opportunity to help somebody, no matter what their challenges are in a, with a fire like that and, and figure it out. They could have, you know, they could have a CPAP machine or or, or take insulin and need that, and then we can really help get that done because of our uh, connections and resources. Now, you mentioned insulin, but a lot of people, when they think about the American Red Cross, they're always thinking about donating blood. Can you talk about that? And that has been a challenge. We're, we're, thankfully, we're back up and we're operating. So if you can find a, a little moment of your week or your day to, to donate blood, we're behind. And uh, we we certainly need that. We had to cancel all those drives around the state, but we're back up and we're running. And you can go to redcross.org, and they will direct you to the blood drives nearest you. If you want to find out more about donating blood, it's redcrossblood.org. Here on Better Living, we're talking with um, Dan Halliburton, the public affairs spokesman for the American Red Cross. And we were talking about last week, and I know – it's been, you know, kind of soon, but do you have any kind of uh, idea of which parts of the state were hit hardest uh, with the fires and, and the needs? The South, the center oh, and the South. Yeah. I, I hate to say that we got off a little lucky, but we kind of did because that snow was a challenge, but it didn't affect as many things as happened in the center and southern part of the state where they got ice. Mm. And we know what that's like. Oh, yeah. Because then not only do you have all the crazy stuff we had with the grid, but you could have individual failures in neighborhoods and homes because of ice that we just didn't have to face here. So there, were, there was a, a, little bit of, um, a little bit of luck there for North Texas. The, the one thing that happened throughout the state where warming shelters and shelters, a little bit different. A full shelter has cots, supplies, food items, what you'd normally expect on that. But a, but a warming shelter is often just a warm place. Mm-hmm. So people, when they go to a warming shelter, might bring some water, some food, maybe a chair. The idea there, I think, was that normally it's a short-term event, and clearly this turned into a much longer-term event. There were some different numbers out there for Red Cross, but even as the other states that we were also working in, because remember, we were working Red Cross in Oklahoma and Louisiana and Missouri and all those states that were very heavily impacted by the storm. But we had a little over 100 warming shelters all across the state. There's There's a great app, by the way. It's called the Red Cross Emergency App. You ought to have it on your mobile device on your phone. And one of the things that was fascinating to me was there was a map and every shelter on that map has a red cross logo. And that map was crazy full. Wow. From from top to south, all across down to Galveston. 
Wow. So it was, um, it, it, and it's a great app for you to have on your phone because in a sense of an emergency, in a time of emergency, there's all kinds of information there about how you can get help, where you can find resources, and it does something else very cool. You can put your relative's address in it, and it will notify you if their area has been impacted by a disaster. Now, that's awesome. That's that's, that's technology. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. That's stress relieving sometimes, you know, it's like letting you know the status so you can either be overly concerned or less concerned or know what you need to do to reach out. Right. And, and so I I really, it's, it's, we have lots of other specialty apps, but that's my favorite because it just does so many different things and it does it really well. How, How does the Red Cross roll out when a disaster hits, whether it's the the uh, Arctic storm, when the pandemic hit, how do you get the word out of this? Do, do people contact you and all of a sudden you send out the vehicles? I mean, how does it, how does it happen? Like we knew the Arctic front was coming. We knew it was going to be kind of bad. And then it happened and the power was out and the roads were icy. How do you guys roll out? Well, we get the call and because it's, it's interesting. We, we just, you know, they said, Dan, you just can't ride around in your car looking for a house fire. <laughs> you can't look for smoke in the air. We, right. The fire department calls us okay, because they know what the needs are on the ground. We have great relationship with, with the departments on that. So it's, you know, the in a larger scale, it's fire departments, it's emergency managers in cities and in counties. It could be the local police department because – we want to respond to the needs of that community and we're going to get that information from the first responders and and then that's when that's what we roll on but we certainly get requests and and they come directly when you call 1-800-RED-CROSS they will they will route your call it goes through a national call center but they route your call right to the area where you need help so we've got that again, some technology and resources that are working there, and we're then responding to a variety of different requests. Some of those requests also come online, mm-hmm. so that that it's kind of a multi-faceted response when people are in need, and in certainly in large disasters, we've got you know folks that are not only watching this here, but a a disaster team in Washington that is tracking all of this with the technology and the input of uh, of our not only our resources but what requests are being made to us. You know the American Red Cross is such a stellar reputation. It's it's like FEMA and the uh, National Guard. It's like when you hear the FEMA's coming, when you hear the National Guard's coming, when you hear the American Red Cross is there. People feel like, wow, this is big, this is huge, and they're taking care of business. Do you ever work with those two organizations, FEMA or the National Guard, or, or do you cross uh, work together at all? Or is it yeah, all, separate? all the time. And it crosses in lots of different ways, including the Texas Guard, mm-hmm. you know, who also plays a, a role that a lot of people don't always know about. Uh, but they're activated on a statewide basis. So, um, yeah, and, th- you know, we're – when, when there's a major disaster going on, and I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, after a, a tornado or mm-hmm. a hurricane or a major flood, not only are we out there and we're in the field, but we've got a Red Cross person that's sitting in the emergency operations center 
and is one of those many teams with a lot of people with vests. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Red Cross, we got vests. Yes. FEMA, they got vests. You, everybody's got a vest. So when, when the you vests go show into up, the emergency operations yeah. center, it's like, you know, like in that, like those old days in NASA and those guys, they all had like a, like a vest on and it said what they did. Right. That's what they do. Everybody's got a vest on. So if you, if you get with Red Cross, you do get a vest. <laughs> let's let's kind of compare these disasters because a lot of people are trying to equate it and 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 wrap people's minds around it with painted pictures. Um, everybody knows about the hurricanes and the big hurricanes that not even just the hurricane itself, but the rainstorms that followed down in Houston and, and right. the, in the South area. And then people were talking about the winter storms here in February, and they were trying to compare the damage or compare the urgency or the emergency. Can you equate those two? Because I know you guys have had to cover both. Yeah, and I've had both the honor and, and, and the sobering reality of covering pretty much every kind of natural disaster except an earthquake. Somehow I've been fortunately left out of that one. You know what? You're talking to somebody that was actually in the earthquake that hit the World Series. Back in wow. 89. Yeah, that was something different. I know somebody else that was there, and it was Larry Grogan, and I know you know who that is. Oh, yes. Larry was there. So I would, I would equate this one, and this has come up a lot. It's a lot like the aftermath of a hurricane. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you say that? Because her, first and foremost, hurricane, the, the sheer geography of the impact of a hurricane is massive, Right. It, it can be hundreds and miles wide and go for hundreds and hundreds of miles and hundreds of miles in its path. And, and it just hammers the infrastructure, the electric, therefore the water, it, and, and it affects people's homes and how they live and, and, and puts them out of those homes in many cases. So it's a bit like the aftermath of a hurricane. There was the storm. What do you do during a storm? You hunker down. In this case, we hunkered down and tried to stay warm. Then the storm's over, and now you're left with the aftermath of what has happened. And so I would say it's like that, except the difference is after a hurricane, it's hot. And this was very cold after we got into that recovery mode for, for a minute anyway. Are we in the recovery mode right now? And can you talk about what that's like for this Arctic storm? We are in the recovery mode. I've been out the last two days to the water distribution sites in Dallas. And I was out at Keys Park uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and which, by the way, is a fabulous gym in Dallas. And if you haven't been there before, you need to go out there. It is amazing, yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, pr- prettier in the summer, I'm sure, with lots of big oak trees and all around it. But... And so I wanted to drive some of the neighborhoods out there, and people were driving through in a, in a very steady rate, just coming by and getting, getting water. Mm-hmm. And City of Dallas set those up, and we're, we're partnered with them, helping them out with some of the, the, the manpower on that, along with their folks as well. It's, good. it's a great uh, joint effort. But I started driving around some of those neighborhoods that are just north of Keast Park out there, off of Rugged and those roads in there. Mm-hmm. Man, you can just see the water running in the gutters oh, so it's yeah. not because of melt it's because there's water it's coming out of the ground it's coming out of sprinkler systems i saw a home that i have to assume just from what i saw a large wheeled dumpster 
pushed right up to the front door, and man, that thing was overflowing with furniture and the kind of things that would come from the inside home. I don't know that for sure. I didn't Mm -hmm. go up to them, but I wanted to get a sense of that. And so imagine that's happening here and maybe not to the greatest extent as it is in the San Antonio area or in Houston or even South Austin, but it's got that kind of impact. It's just everywhere you look, there's something that's been impacted by, by that. Now you mentioned when, you know, these things occur, you guys roll out. Can you talk about what you had to go through with all the ice, as opposed to going through a hurricane storm rolling out and then the recovery of rolling back in and how long you might stay or, right. or does it, there's a different timetable. Well, they would both create their challenges and COVID-19 is a big challenge oh, that yeah. adds to that. Yeah. The pandemic. Because we've, but because we've had very strict protocols about how we go about meeting the needs of people who very much need that, that support. And at the same time, keeping our, our, our staff and our volunteers healthy. Because if we're not doing that, then we can't help anybody. Right. And it's the same reason why when the storm is on, let's say a hurricane, the winds start to pick up, pick up, they, they hit 35 miles an hour, we, we have to stop. Because we don't want to be more of the problem. We want to be there to help people alleviate their suffering. So, yeah, that's kind of a tricky balance. And it's frustrating if you're a Red Cross person because you want to get out there mm-hmm. and you want to help. And, and in this case, so much of what's needed was beyond all of our ability to do that. And we're, we're talking about electricity. So, you know, you had – we'll be talking about this one for a long, long time. It did remind me a little bit – I worked Hurricane Sandy – the early part of Sandy, the storm came through. I got there right after the storm. And, you know, that whole area around New York was just hammered. You know, couldn't get to Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was warm, relatively, for that geography. And then a cold front came through, and it got really cold. So And snowed. So it was all kinds of misery going on there. You still had boats sitting in the middle of of roads you know on long island and and then snow came so yeah it was a little bit like that and i think the 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 impact on infrastructure there was was also significant you know what's amazing as well i have some so ironic you bring up sandy because the irony is whoever would thought a hurricane could hit new york and then whoever thought an ice storm could hit texas yeah, that I, I had not thought about it that way, and Just, that's a lot like it. And I maybe that's a little bit of the craziness going on in our, you know, with our our climate, mm-hmm. um, because we're we're facing so many storms, and 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 of greater of greater volume, of greater number, mm-hmm. and greater strength and impact. It's almost like you have to be prepared year-round for anything that you thought this part of the country would never have this happen to. Yeah, and I want to, and if we can talk just a little bit about preparedness, it's probably sure. one of the things that Red Cross does a lot of, and they do it all the time, and I think we do it well. It's another reason to have that emergency app, because it will tell you about preparedness for all kinds of disasters. Mm-hmm. And you think about folks say, well, I, you know, 
I didn't think I was going to need water. Well, in a hurricane, you clean your bathtub and you fill it up with water because you might need that water to boil and drink. You might need that water to flush a toilet. And I don't think everybody thought of a winter storm the way they would think about a hurricane. Mm -hmm. But the preparation for one of the magnitude we received, and that's, I guess, what preparedness is about. You can't always anticipate what's coming. So you got to be ready for all of it. And speaking of being ready, I, I always look at it like this. To me, the weather in Texas is so – it changes all the time, especially up here in North Texas. I'm not assuming we're past winter weather until we hit April sometime. What about you? Well, the 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 National Weather Service, I got an email from them this morning. I'm kind of on one of the, the lists that first responders get and Red mm-hmm. Crossers get. And the Red Cross – or the uh, Weather Service is now beginning their – spring storm training wow now wow it starts in march uh we don't get our we don't get so much of the thunderstorms in march but by april and may then we know it's full on so yeah the it's almost like people are still cleaning up from dealing with all of this and need to be thinking about what's ahead by the way i love weather i I minored in meteorology University of Oklahoma, so I love keeping up with the weather, and I love weather maps and things like that. So could you tell the people who don't know, and maybe you, hopefully you know this, what is officially hurricane season from what month to what month, and what officially is tornado season? Because it seems like sometimes it goes from March to October. I'm not sure. Hurricanes is June to late October, early November. Mm Mm-hmm. And tornado season is April to January, February, March, April, May, June, July, every <laughs> month of the year, all months. Exactly, you're right. We, in the United States, which is unique in the the size, the power, and the frequency of tornadoes, there they don't happen almost anywhere else on the planet like they do here, mm-hmm. and with the kind that we have. And so, yeah, it's we've had them in December, and we've had them at night. Yes. I mean, it, it, we've had them in big cities. We had yeah. them in rural areas. I mean, it just doesn't matter. And that, and that's why you go to redcross.org. There's just a lot of information about that. You know, if and if you got kids in your home, mm-hmm. it would be a great teaching exercise for your children. You know, ha, you know, depending on their age, if they're a little older, have them get online. Let them go to redcross.org. Do some some homework on that, and uh, and and let you come back to the parents with ideas about about uh, preparedness. And if they're younger, you can make it kind of interesting so it's yeah. in a way that you're prepared and it keeps it from being scary. If you know what's coming. Right. I don't know about you, but when, when the hardest thing for me is to get at that, that point at the ski slope and I'm up there and I'm looking down and it looks like a long way down. Mm-hmm. And I got to go, ooh. And I got to get up my nerve to give that little push to go off the edge. And then I'm on it, it's like, okay, I got this. And then the second time, I'm good. So maybe with kids, I think the the correlation there is if they're talking about preparation, if it becomes kind of a thing that they do and the family participates in, it doesn't have to be a frightening thing. It can be an educational thing. And then they will have already got to the top of that ski slope and gone off the edge and got it like, okay, I got this. Dan, I swear you and I are on the same page. I teach my kids the same way. I always tell them I'm not afraid of things I understand, so I try to understand things, and things I don't understand, 
I respect them. I don't necessarily just automatically fear them. I either right. I either understand them and therefore I'm not afraid of it, or I don't understand it and I'm going to respect it until I understand it. Yes. The since we're talking about kind things of the mind and mm-hmm. and the spirit, one of the things that happens and and a lot of people don't realize that that during disasters we have trained mental health care workers. Okay. That are on call to help with people cope with all of the right the, the intensity of, right. of the disaster. It's very disorienting. And then the other thing we have is we have spiritual care workers. Mm-hmm. People who have that kind of training and background. And it, it's not religious, it's spiritual. No, and you're right because we're, we're because people to, sometimes feel like yeah. they've lost it all or where yeah. am I where do I go now? Yeah. And sometimes you just need that help. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I, I, it's just such a fascinating organization, uh, and such an honor to have been part of it for all these eleven years that I'm doing. It. And I just want to keep finding ways to do it, which brings me to another thought, and that's volunteerism. Yeah, I mean, the world is a better place when people give of themselves to help their fellow man. And the Red Cross has so many different ways to bring life skills to bear on the mission of the Red Cross. You know, when I got started with it, I was going to go out and go to house fires in the middle of the night. And the the lady that was running that at the time, Anita Foster, said, oh, no, your whole background is media and communications. We need you on our communications team. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that makes sense. And, it, <laughs> and you know, that was like second nature. I mean, sure. I had a lot of things I needed to learn. But you had something to offer that was second. That was, I mean, that was perfect in your in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and 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 the cool thing about volunteerism, and I say this to people all the time because they said, well, I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to let them down. My time is kind of limited. Trust me. Find an organization that speaks to your heart. Find out what they need in the way of volunteers and just tell them, hey, I got this much time and they'll be glad to have it. Oh, they'll yeah. be very glad to have it. And you know what? I think no one feels better about themselves once they've given a few times. They go, wow, I just feel good. It makes you feel good in your heart yeah. and, and, and it makes you feel like you have a purpose. And I yeah, think most people better to give than receive. Yeah. Here you're giving and you know what you receive? The amazing feeling that you have helped somebody in some small way. And I'm going to tell you one quick story about it. So I'm at, I'm at a, one of the huge wildfires in California. An older couple in their 80s had been lost during the fire, and then they found each other at a Red Cross shelter. And this, they were getting ready to kind of move on to what's next. They were connecting with their kids, and this was the Paradise Fire, the deadly fire that was up there. And he came over to me and he said, hey, could you help me with something? I said, yeah, what do you need? He said, I have a bunch of junk in the back of my truck, in my car, and I need to get rid of it because we have to put our our luggage in there and stuff, and I can't figure out how to do that. And I talked to a couple of people. <laughs> so I said, well, let's go look at your car. And it was just some stuff. He was in the process of taking it to the dump when the fire hit. And so I said, I found a dumpster. And I said, you drive your car around over there. I'll meet you at the dumpster. And we took the stuff and threw it out. That was the most important thing on his mind. And I think about how, how 
simple that is, but mm-hmm. that was critical to him. And and I mean, you know, it was pre-COVID, so he's like gives me this giant hug. I just can't believe it. Thank you. <laughs> so he's thanking me for helping him throw out the stuff in the back of his car. Wow. So there's stories like that times they never end. Infinity. Infinity. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, Dan, this has been a great conversation. I cannot thank you enough. Can you tell people where they can get a hold of the American Red Cross if they want to help or if they want uh, any aid? Yes. Let's start out with redcross.org. Redcross.org, if you want to volunteer, there are places there. If you want to make a donation, it's always appreciated. The American Red Cross runs on the generosity of the American people. And then, of course, 1-800-RED-CROSS is a way to also reach out and and find out about things that you might need. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this morning. My honor. All right. That's Dan Halliburton with the American Red Cross. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining me. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.